right, we are officially, officially live. Hi, Arliss. Hey, I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. Same, and I'm so happy to have everyone who's listening in. Thank you for being here um, to talk body positivity with us. And we came up with a pretty interesting topic last week. We were talking last week about some of the messages that we receive through the media, through the diet industry, about our bodies. And I thought it'd be an interesting topic for us today. And I, I just want to open up by asking, you know, what are... What were some of the messages that maybe you received when you were a kid that you didn't realize you just had accepted without without really thinking about it? Yeah, so I think that one of the big messages was that active in society and um, being able to be small enough to be picked up or, you know, do a piggyback ride as an adult or um, things like that, like that was the most attractive, most desirable form for a woman's body. And I never fit that, you know, I never fit that. I've been, um, I'm five, eight and a half now. I was five, seven by the time I was 12 years old. You know, I've weighed over 200 pounds since I was about 14. And um, I was always the one that was the strong one that was giving all of my friends piggyback rides or moving furniture, things like that. And so that was definitely challenging to see this, what the media called normal um, image of a woman out there uh, that I would never be. What about you, Diana? You know, I love that. Um... Because I resonate with that story of the the strong one, um, because I I was larger than most other Asian women. I I I'm I still don't think I'm like ex like large. Like I'm I'm still kind of small. I think like I'm five four. Um, I weigh about like 160 pounds. Like I'm not tiny, but I'm not like I'm not like very large either. Like I'm not super tall or anything like that. Um, but I always identified as the strong one and I actually I have a photo I'll share it with you later of me actually carrying my husband like piggyback riding him you know like it was just very normal to be like and I remember like in high school being that girl who would like pick up football players and stuff like that like I, I took pride in it but I think it is born from this feeling that I was looking for some form of empowerment in who I was when I felt like I wasn't I wasn't the norm, I wasn't the accepted size, I was not the right skin color, like, like I, I see it now and I'm like, I have really thick, beautiful black hair, but I grew up seeing hair products for like white women and you know, the, and so there would be, I'd be like, man, how come my hair doesn't hold a curl or why doesn't my hair do this? And it's like, it, it never really came from a place of like actual inferiority, but just noticing that I wasn't like the status quo or noticing I wasn't like um, everybody else and then trying to find some form of power in that but many times finding myself not finding power in it and feeling inadequate honestly um, so yeah so that was and I received a lot of messages about who I was supposed to be um, about the size I was supposed to be my my mom was a doctor and I remember like that scale of like how tall you are and how old you are and how much you're supposed to weigh and I was always like mm, like you know 
closer to the top of the scale. She was like, this is not a place you want to be in the 80th percentile. You know what I mean? Like, you're trying to be average here. And so it felt, it always felt like I, I was like outside of the norm and trying continually to um, put myself back in that place where I, I fit in, even though it was, again, an arbitrary standard. Yeah. And I love how you talk about um, how there are different means that we all take or have taken in our lives to change our appearance in order to fit in. I, I just recently heard about a research study that was done on whether women should wear makeup or not based on how people react to it and whether or not they find women that don't wear makeup or wear makeup more easy to um, talk to or they trust them more. And um, in this study, there were four groups. So women that didn't wear makeup, um, natural makeup, professional makeup, and then considered glamour makeup, like full on makeup, eyelashes, everything. And the study showed that in our society, we have been trained, you know, we've been trained as a society to trust women and interact more with women that are wearing either professional or glamorized makeup like that that is considered normal and when i read that study it was very sad to me because i do choose to wear some makeup on occasion i have really really blonde white eyebrows like literally if i don't put anything on my eyebrows it looks like i don't have any and so i'm really expressive so i do put on eyebrows um, like this, the liquid gel and I put on tinted lip gloss, which I have on today and that's it. I'm not wearing any other makeup today. I know that you don't wear makeup for at least from what I see or it, or it's extremely natural looking and you're gorgeous. I feel gorgeous. And so when I read that study about, um, our society being so trained to focus on women with makeup, it made me a little sad. What, What's your response? Oh my God, I'm so thrilled that you brought this up because I think that the whole premise of the study is is part of the issue. Who cares what somebody else thinks about you? It's so much about like, I'm hearing you talk about choosing to wear makeup, choosing to wear it in a way that feels right for you. I have a, one of my best friends loves makeup and she doesn't wear it by, like, you know, some people feel like it's like a need thing and I think it's got to be a choice thing. I don't need to wear this for you and you, you know, like no matter how you perceive me, but I do know that women who, and I, I've felt that and I've even received that feedback from other people like, like you should dress up more, you should wear more makeup, you should like, you know, just put a little more finesse into your look like, and you know, people will trust you more. And as you see, I literally like fly in the face of that. I'm like, F that, like, no, I, I feel most comfortable. I actually feel less comfortable in my skin wearing makeup. And I think it comes from like my own kind of experience with makeup personally, but it's just how I feel more comfortable. And for a speaking engagement or for, for an event like that, I will put on something a little more, but I hate that idea that for you to trust me, I need I need to put on something on my face or something like that. And I'm just, I, I never have been a big believer in that, but I, I also, I do also respect that 
like this has been my experience of this but I understand how another woman could have that experience of you know of people trust me more when more when I wear a professional and glam so that's my standard mm-hmm. and like how that can shape somebody else's experience of of makeup yeah and what I love about um I find makeup can be really fun sometimes and so I'm definitely in that category that probably has more makeup than I will ever use (laughs) in my lifetime currently even if I used it all (laughs) now until the the day I wasn't on this earth um I have a lot of fun with it and I also love um how men are using oh my god it thrills me yes yeah, and I, I love how makeup can also be used to create a character or things like that um, in cosplay and um, and all of that and in drag. Yes. And I also love, um, I love it, you know, I have friends and they wear makeup every single day and it's part of their look and they really enjoy doing it. I think that that's the important yes. part is, it, is that, you know, um, that we all enjoy what we're doing to our bodies and that we enjoy what it looks like when we do the things that we choose to do to our bodies and that we're not doing it for outside validation. I think that that's the really important part. Yeah, and that to me stands out as a gold nugget, right? This idea of enjoying what we're doing to our bodies as opposed to doing it for some outside validation. And that's a lot of what comes up when we're looking at media consumption, right? Even as I said, the premise of this of this article or, wh- or whatever you'd heard inherently to me points to a problem. Like, ladies, what should you be wearing so that more people take you seriously? This is simply fact. Like, you know, from um, your work in, in the sciences and like I used to do a lot of like research and statistics work, that study, whatever it came up with, the media or somebody framed it in a certain way so that it's about what we we should be doing when in fact from a statistician's point of view it was probably just like what what's the result here Mm -hmm. and we we attach so much meaning to what you know what the findings are and we we can even use it to like sell glam makeup or sell professional makeup or whatever that is um and it's it like for me that's just a little it's like a way that statistics and all these different things can be kind of used to to further a narrative that's not necessarily true yeah i i love what you're saying around that diana because when we look at magazines or commercials or or things like that i don't think that many of us stop to pause and reflect on whether the question that's being asked is an objective question to begin with. Um, So, you know, the question of how much makeup does a woman need to wear in order to be trusted, that question is not objective. That's not an objective (laughs) question. That That is obviously leaning towards a woman needs to be wearing makeup to be trusted, right? And so when we read things in magazines or we see things in commercials that are question based, I would invite everyone to take a pause. Take a pause and just think, is this question driving at a specific answer or is it an objective question? And um, and that can help us kind of take in 
what those answers are, whether it's data or whatever, real perspective. You know, maybe we, we see the question and we're like, wow, that's really driving at an answer. And so the answers maybe we take as a, as a grain of salt, you know, and, yeah. and when we look at a question and we think, okay, well, this is more objective, then maybe we consider the answers more. But I think that just taking the pause to look at the question is a huge step as far as you know regulating our media consumption yeah and along with that i love that idea of like taking a pause and like we've talked about that in the past right really noticing the train of thought we're going down uh you know is this is this question leading me somewhere that i want but to me it's also like wherever the question leads do i want to consume this because mm-hmm. i still get a choice about whether or not i'm going to allow this information to mean something to me right like so for example, you shared with me today, right? That glam and professional makeup make people trust you more than people who don't. That doesn't mean I'm gonna stop doing my thing, right? Like, I'm, I don't care. See my bare yeah. face and if that, you know, like, it doesn't matter. So that's an example of, of us being able to hear information and not necessarily internalize it or have it mean something to us. It does, it's, it's simply information. We don't have to do anything with it. And um, I want to get back, though, because I loved that you talked a little bit about men wearing makeup. And that Mm -hmm. thrills me. I don't know about you, but I'm just, I love seeing how Gen Gen Z or whatever they're called. um, To me, it's interesting that it's all, like, defined by Gen X. You know, it's like, Gen Y, now you're millennials, now you're Gen Z. Anyway, um, but I love seeing the younger generation who are playing with makeup and using it. And also like one of the things I love about like TikTok videos or like Instagram reels is people will show their bare face and then the transformation. And I feel like that's much more honest in my mind where it's like, look, like this is who I am. And this is, this is also who I am mm-hmm. because it's, that's the thing is it's not like well, there's only one part of us is that part. It's that we get to choose as you were saying which, you know, who we're going to portray, how we're going to portray ourselves. Absolutely. And I know that in my social media, and I know that you do this too, you know, I show photos of myself or lives of myself where I am, you know, what I consider put together looking cute. <laughs> and, um, and I also show photos of myself where I've just worked out or I just got back from the beach or I just woke up. And I still feel cute. It's just a little, it's just a different, um, a different side of me. And I show both of those on my social media because I believe it's important. I believe that it's important and valuable to see each of us in our natural, natural being. And to me, that is the most beautiful thing. And it's, and it's really beautiful to see others share that too. And then back to your topic at hand, I love, I love gender fluidity. I love non-binary. Um, I consider myself non-binary, even though I present physically as female. Um, and so I, I love all of that. And I also love that there are many men who identify as male, identify as strongly masculine, and they're wearing mascara or they're wearing eyeliner or they're wearing, um, something to enhance their eyebrows or maybe a slightly tinted um, chapstick or things like that. So I love that. 
I, 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 I love taking things that are in our society that are supposed to be for one, you know, one specific person or one specific group of people and, and making it accessible yes. to everyone and for, and for people to choose what feels good to them. You know, one of my brother-in-law's pretty famous band and he plays guitar he's super, super talented. I've seen him rock out on stage many times and he wears eyeliner and nail polish when he does that. And it's awesome. I mean, he's, he's a total rock star and it's awesome. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so much about changing the, when we do that, like I hear you talking about presenting yourself both as um, you know, Arliss in some glam or in some professional makeup and Arliss just waking up or having come from the beach. And I think it's so much about showing all those different sides. Specifically with men though, I think that one thing that's really interesting, I always come at things from like a business perspective or think about that. It's like, this is like marketing gold. You know what I mean? Like I think about when, um, you know, back many, many years ago in American history when um, when people first started marketing hair products for African Americans and how that was that basically ended up being an untapped market where there was so much growth when when we're willing to serve more communities and we're willing to find something that helps other people and and solve their issues I think it's it's such an amazing opportunity but then at the other side of marketing can be this fear-mongering that kind of goes on and I think a lot of that just tying back to the messages that we consume um, I think a lot of the messages that we are driven uh, just naturally as human beings by our survivalist nature are like many of the messages that we pay attention to are fear-based or shame-based and I want to get a little bit into like some some kind of concepts around that like fear-based and shame-based marketing where, where do you kind of see that I mean, I see it all over our world, but where, where would you like to highlight that you see that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's gosh, it's everywhere. Um, I've been lucky enough in the last year to specifically do some training on conscious marketing, hmm. which is hopeful marketing instead of fear-based marketing. And so I've become much more aware. And it's everything, you know, everything that's like, are you afraid you might not fit into your bikini this summer, you know, try this diet plan. You know, anything that has that, are you afraid? Um, are you worried? Uh, phrasing in it, you know, that's fear-based marketing, you know, and I've chosen to act on that before in my life. You know, I've gotten in that place where it's like, oh, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be the only person at school that doesn't have this awesome pair of shoes or I don't want to not be able to fit in my bikini uh, over the summer or whatever it is. And I have given into those marketing strategies and it completely changed for me when I recognized what was happening. So I remember about five years ago, I recognized that it was all fear-based. And then when I started to see it, I was actually turned off by it and wanted to walk away from it instead of embracing it. And now the companies that I buy from often, um, they don't use that marketing um, strategy. And so, you know, I think the first step is just recognizing it, you know, figure out for you, 
what language constitutes fear-based marketing and then kind of planning a mental flag in it so that you can identify it when it comes up and then deciding like, hey, this isn't for me. Um, because I don't wanna support companies that have fear-based marketing. I feel like it's really toxic. I agree. And I think that you're right that the very first step is in recognizing fear-based marketing when it's coming up. And so I know you gave a couple of examples. You talked about, are you afraid? Are you worried? And I think it's like, it's also stoking some feelings of, of fear, worry, or shame, right? So it's like, don't let people see that. Summer's coming, right? Like, did you gain weight during quarantine? And then they like, there's like poor lighting and they're like showing somebody who's like, not, not even feeling confident about themselves where that same person could put on an outfit that they feel great about and look fabulous. So, so those are some of the things that I noticed. What, what else? Cause I know you said five years ago was when you first started noticing it you mentioned, are you afraid? Are you worried? What else would you say are some triggers for anyone who's listening today? Yeah. So the other things that, um, kind of trigger me are words that are used to describe certain body types in the actual marketing. So like for a long time, I never wanted to wear skinny jeans. And I know that they're just jeans that are tight on the leg, but to me, it felt mm. like it was excluding a whole group of people. And, and I know that they do make skinny jeans in every size now. Um, but but inherently me, in the naming, yeah, What's that? inherently in the naming, it's, I never thought about that. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And I do wear the tighter jeans now because. I mean, I just have an awesome butt. I really do. And I like to show it off if I'm completely honest. And it looks great when my, you know, in those jeans. Go girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for, for me, that was a huge turnoff. That was mm -hmm. a huge red flag to me because it inherently excludes a huge part of the population just with the name. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Thank you for bringing that up, skinny jeans. I didn't even think about that. For me, it it was as, it seemed always like a oh you're wearing these jeans to be skinny kind of thing and like, but I never really thought about how by its name alone somebody would feel like these jeans are not for me. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I I always for me I think I see a lot of shame or like fear and worry base in. Um, in like kind of pointing to what other people think or like do you know this thing like this could be caught this could be causing like all of your problems and um, I see it a lot also like just even in mainstream media with the news and it, we have to see that as sensationalism we have to see that as and it's not a bad thing like there are times where I'll say hey these are some myths about body positivity and where, where it comes from is an understanding of like like is this is this again information I want to consume and is this coming across to me in a way where somebody's making me I think so much about marketing can be about making somebody feel bad like they need something in order to be whole as opposed to like hey this is an amazing thing maybe it's a good fit for you like there's that pushiness almost absolutely or that we somehow need to be fixed because we're broken you know, even um, in the most challenging times we have with our health or our mental health or, or whatever it is, it's my belief that we're not broken. 
we're not broken. We are still a whole being. Our soul is still whole inside of us. We may be having challenges, but it's not about fixing ourselves um, or becoming whole again. It's about deciding what uh, supports us and expressing our wholeness. Yeah. That's you know how I like to think about it. And one of the things that I also think that's really important to, to talk about in reference to body positivity on a different side as, as far as consumption is, you know, in the last couple of years, I uh, personally stopped watching any violent TV or movies because I don't want to normalize within myself violence against bodies, um, especially in a lot of movies, um, in mainstream movies, there's a lot of violence against uh, people of color. And I don't want to normalize within myself violence against people of color. Um, I think, and so for me, I've kind of taken that out of what I'm consuming. What are your thoughts on that? Same. I don't. I don't follow the news at all. One of my best friends is a, a news anchor for CBS. She does the, the weekend news, and I still don't watch. Her stories are like mostly a little more positive, but I just I don't watch because I find that. Um, that there's a lot of violence, a lot of fear around the, around, even when I just pay attention for like a minute or two, or like when I'm, I'm looking, cause I do every now and then scroll the headlines. So I, I'm aware a little of what's going on. Um, sometimes those headlines, like they'll catch me, right? There was one about when Hawaii was close to considering going back to tier two. And they were like, today is the day where the number comes out and we'll find out if we're going back to tier two. And like, I'm not even, I don't even pay attention to the news, but I heard this and I was like, I felt myself all day long being like, huh, I wonder what's happening. Huh, you know, like I just had this natural anxiety about it. And I, I literally just read one news title and was like, and you know, that's my reaction. So I saw, I see that there are so many ways that we are driven by wanting more information, thinking that more information is going to help us or save us, instead of finding a way to feel whole and fine regardless. And when I let go and I was like, all right, we're either in tier two or tier three, these numbers, they've basically been determined because it's all just about getting a number of test results that's being tallied. So there's nothing I can do in this situation to change that, to change what's happening and there's no real reason for me to feel this anxiety other than that somebody is stoking it within me through yeah. through the media. So I'm I'm with you on not really paying too much attention. It does make it hard to watch movies with my husband though because he loves action and adventure. And as a result, it's like I'm like, let's find a happy one. How about a cartoon? You know, like it it there's sometimes where um, it can be a little more challenging to find a movie, but at the end of the day, I think it is, again, what I'm hearing you say, Arliss, is this is you choosing not to feed yourself ideas and images about violence against people of color and really seeing that just in that consumption of that through our eyes, through our minds, that that can affect us. And I think that's that's something that many people don't see or understand. Like, I don't know about you, even not watching the beginning of the coronavirus news, I felt it. I could feel that the feeling in, in the collective consciousness, like in, in people's energy around me, everyone was more on edge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
for me, I became aware of how much visual and sensory stimuli affects me when I was working as a deputy coroner, you know, and, and this is real life. So I was doing death investigation in real life, um, which is different than watching in a movie, but I'm, I'm still impacted by the things that I saw. And, um, and I realized one time when I was watching a movie, that it really wasn't that different. And I'm not talking about having like a PTSD flashback, but I was watching a show that was a crime scene show and they were showing, you know, autopsies and crime scene investigation and uh, crime scene photos. And I was like, wow, this is really violent. You know, this is just as violent to see as it was to experience in person. And, um, and I don't want to normalize violence. I don't want to normalize violence within me and feel like that it's okay. Because it, to me, it's not okay that people senselessly hurt each other. Um, it's not okay. Uh, and so that's when that shift happened is just realizing that, um, that it was kind of numbing me out almost. And, and I don't want to be numb. I want to be a full feeling human being and um, and when something is sad or scary, I want to be able to feel that naturally, and I don't want to be numb to, to those feelings because I've seen so much violence in the media that I'm consuming. Yeah. Yeah, and thank you for sharing that experience of um, of how seeing those images on TV helped you see. Wow, like I have these same feelings when this is in my real life, and. I, I, I'm hearing you say that that helped you see that that connection between simply the visual image. You know, like um, we've talked about it a little bit, but I think that just seeing images of men in makeup, seeing images of different kinds of bodies, these are the things I seek out. I'm like, I live in this world where this is like, like this is what I want and this is what I want to see more of. And I think that's another thing that's really interesting is that we can choose what we consume, especially, and we see this in detriment at times on Facebook or like in other places where we can create an echo chamber. But I think that it's really interesting that we can choose what it is that we allow into our minds. And I think it's about being mindful and open to different perspectives. And at the same time, not just being mindful, but also then deciding, okay, which of these am I consciously going to take on versus be fed? Because I even found myself, uh, and I think it's like just from past patterns, hearing that like summer is calling and feeling a little like anxiety about it. Even though like we live here in Hawaii, like, I mean, we're wearing a bathing suit all year long, you know, but I'm like, oh, summer, <laughs> still, you know, like it's like that Pavlovian dog kind of uh, reaction. <laughs> Well, and I would love to ask you, uh, Diana, what kind of criteria are you looking for for how you decide on what you're going to consume? Um, and what are the ways that you consume media now? How, you know, and how is that different than before? When I worked on a trading floor at, um, on Wall Street, news was on all day long you know, several screens, right? Like, not only is it coming in from like the screens above you, but it's also, you know, you're on your Bloomberg terminal and you're like literally getting news every single second. It's, and it's, 
one of those places where it's literally just happening to you and you're consuming it and much of it can be relevant. And so I came from that kind of background of like being very heavily invested in the news, using it to explain a lot of the worldview and then making decisions based on it. But what I found was that, and actually this kind of goes back <laughs> to some of my, my trauma experience where I, I would see, you know, in 9-11 or I would see in the global financial crisis, um, being intimately involved in both, people reacting to the news, to the information without having the full picture. Mm -hmm. And that to me, that started to give me pause about the news and how I was consuming things because I started to realize that there was a push to get news and information out because we were craving it. We wanted to know what's going on, what what are all these different things. I, even today, right, like if we can't look on, on our phones and instantly find out if a restaurant's open, like, oh my God, what is, like, oh, the world is over kind of thing, you know? But like there was a time, like, and so I think that news feeds that that desire for instant information and it's what we're asking for but is it really what we need and is it really done in a way where we're getting all the facts or are we just getting the first facts not the full picture and so i started seeing for myself that i didn't want to make as many decisions based on you know the ups and like if you look at it from the market perspective there's there's ups and downs and the volatility that can come from this person sold a million shares this person bought it oh let's go all you know up and down and i always think of that um that warren buffett quote where he says that the key to success is emotional stability it's like seeing all this insanity and still being able to be in an emotional stable place and that comes from choosing what of you see of what you see and all the news that's around you um <clears throat> choosing what of it you'll consume. So when I started to shift to thinking more like that, even in the markets, I started seeing more of the, the pandemonium, right? And I think that's a, that's a real key for all of us, even just if we're talking about body positivity. When we, when we can see it as an observer, like you were saying, asking the question of, you know, is this, is this driving at something that I want to receive as an answer? Um, then we have more of a perspective and some space to really decide. Um, so yeah, so as strange as it sounds, it came from a little bit of my trauma experience and seeing people ride waves and also from being in the markets and seeing that like what came out as news today was getting debunked tomorrow, <laughs> you know? And like, I'm not gonna make decisions in that kind of way. So I, I started to trust a lot more of myself. And I think that that seems to me like what you do as well, Arliss, is like really trust yourself and check in with yourself before before um, taking something in. Would you say absolutely. that's right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I boundaries for myself or criteria around what I will consume. Like I don't watch uh, mainstream TV at all because I'm not interested in consuming uh, those commercials. And I don't know, you know, sometimes commercials in themselves are violent. Um, and I don't want to, I want to be able to choose not to see violence. And so I, I don't watch, um, any kind of streaming with commercials 
And uh, one of the other ways that I've really reduced my consumption is I've um, unsubscribed to all of the email ads too, as many as I can, so that when I'm opening my email uh, during the day, I'm not getting those advertisements that might be not supporting me um, and, and that sort of thing. So, and then as far as like specifically about my body, I've searched out products that I know are body positively supportive. And so I, you know, and it's, it took me some time to find different things that, that do what I needed to do and have that message. But now those are the, the products that I consume. And so when I am looking at choosing a new product, or new clothing or that sort of thing, I'm looking at, is this body positive, positive supportive, you know? So one of the things is like clothes. I try not to buy brands that don't have at least a three X size, you know? So the brands that I buy from and wear, I'm looking for them to have a size 18, 20, 22, you know, and a size three X and up, you know, hopefully. So that if I wear something and somebody sees it and it doesn't matter what size they are, I can say, yeah, you can totally find this at wherever it is. So, uh, just being really mindful about that sort of thing so that I am not um, putting my funding or backing behind something that isn't accessible to different bodies. I hear you making conscious decisions about body positivity for, like from many angles considering even the companies that you shop from so that if you buy something you can say yeah this you can wear this as well and all that I really love that I want to play devil's advocate though because we were talking about cutting a lot of these things that we don't want to consume out mm -hmm. and there can be some arguments around like well then you're not informed you don't know yeah. what's going on in the world you don't know you don't know anything um, and I want to your insights on that, and I'm happy to share mine as well. Yeah, so I do have a couple of news sources that I specifically go to to gain news um, when I feel like that's really important. So I'm, I'm specific about that. Uh, so I don't sit down in front of a TV and watch news. I look for articles and I, I read about it. And one that helps me have control over how much violence I see in pictures and, and video and that sort of thing. And I also feel like that maybe it's a little bit more factual that way. And then I also look at like scientific articles and stuff. So if it's something that's in the news that's also science, I look for research to support what's being said. And I look for peer reviewed articles and you know, something that has been vetted in some way uh, so that I know that the research was done responsibly. So for me, that's how I stay informed. And I do feel like I stay informed well enough to have intelligent conversation about what's going on in the world, but it doesn't you know, go past my boundary of not wanting to consume violent images. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. So for me, um, some of the ways that I do it, because I, I think that one of the things that strikes me in, in media overall is a singular opinion. When you read an article, you're reading a singular opinion, and it's not quite a full picture. 
So I really like having read articles from people who are very different from me. I like reading the Wall Street Journal. It ends up being a little more on the conservative side. I like reading, I like reading more liberal things. I like reading all of that different stuff, but in a way where I'm choosing my sources. So I'm not, I'm not reading from anyone who, like if it feels sensationalist, I'm not, I'm not reading. But if it, if it comes from a source that is largely in some way academic or attempting objectivity, knowing that we can't quite achieve that ever, then I think that it, it allows me to at least read that, get in the opinion, and at the same time leave behind whatever is not for me. So I think it's, it again comes back to just being intentional about the source of what you consume is what I'm hearing you say, right? You're talking about scientific articles that are peer reviewed and looking for the information specifically that you're wanting. And for me, I, the way I'm kind of portraying it is being intentional about my sources. Where am I, where am I getting this information? And really for me, a lot of it comes from wanting to understand another person's point of view, because how can I, how can I really, um, say something or that I believe something if I don't understand how somebody else could believe something else. Uh, and that for me, I feel like that's important is to, to see and understand the whole picture. So if I'm going to see some people who are, you know, like summer is coming at me, right? <laughs> like I'm also looking at, I'm also looking at women who are loving their bodies now. And, you know, and, and again, I get to choose, right? As it's not I can't control everything that comes into your that, that comes into your space either. So you do get to choose in those moments, like, yeah, I'm not listening to this person who's talking about, ooh, I've been eating so bad, right? Like, cause I, I think that that's, um, that's a whole nother topic. Um, <laughs> but I, I am at the same time, like honoring that space that there are some people who think that way and, and I get to choose how I think. Absolutely. And I think that one of the ways to kind of take a, a first step in seeing other perspectives or even seeing other bodies is, you know, in Pinterest and Instagram, you know, on Pinterest, you can choose what boards you follow and choose a board of somebody that looks different than you, that's posting pictures of themselves or choose a board that talks about different bodies positively. And maybe that feels resistant at first because of our past experiences, but just try it out, you know, and on Instagram, you can follow people that look different than you or had a different body shape than you, or, uh, you know, one of my favorite, uh, ones to follow, and I won't say the specific name, uh, but she is a yoga genius and she's plus size. And I love it. I love it because uh, for so long, it was just petite women, you know, very slender petite women that were shown as being yoga gurus. And this beautiful woman and who's full figured uh, is a yoga guru. So that's one of the ones that I love to see because it inspires me to know the yogi and me. So yeah, just, you know, look for something that's different yeah. and follow it and, and see what kind of reaction that you have to it. And, and that will help guide you in, in your next steps. Yeah. And I think, um, if anyone who's with us today is a, is a business owner and this message is for you, you have a specific unique message based on your life experience and 
you sharing that, you sharing how your personal experience, how your challenges have shaped you, literally helps somebody else. Arliss, there was a time where you couldn't talk about being bigger than everybody and not feeling comfortable in your skin. There was a time when I struggled to talk about my feelings about makeup and felt like I was supposed to be wearing more makeup than I wanted to wear. And us sharing these stories, this allows somebody else to relate to us, to know that they're not alone. And not only that, it's, it's not just for the people who, who have the same opinion as us, it's also for the people who have no idea. Arliss taught me today about the skinny jeans. I had no idea. I'd never had that feeling for myself. And I think that that's so much about why we have these body positivity conversations. And we are getting better every single week at figuring out our beginning live logistics. Let's just call it that way. So I know that next week we're off without a hitch. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Arliss. I'll see you all next week. See you next week.